as parents and caregivers, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a childcare provider, we can influence what our children eat, not just now, but when they're adults. And that is so impactful because nutrition has so much to do with these healthy lifestyle factors. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 181. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome veggie lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. Still going strong every week. Not sure how I'm pulling it off. Eking by, literally. I have had times where I was like eight weeks, 10 weeks ahead of schedule recording. And now it's like a day or two or 20 hours. Thank you, Alejandra, for your dedication, for your quick turnover in editing these episodes. I appreciate you. And to my veggie lovers, I appreciate you so much. It is a busy time. There is so much going on. There is so much change. I have a really exciting Big presentation coming up on Sunday, actually, on the day that this episode airs, I will be giving a presentation along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Cherie Shu, who has been on this podcast before. She's amazing, the wellness pediatrician. So look up that episode. She has great things to say. So we will be giving that workshop with two amazing moderators. And we're going to be talking about lifestyle medicine for children zero to five years old. So important so relevant, so impactful. So as I've been preparing for that workshop and to give information to these practitioners, to these lifestyle medicine enthusiasts that are ready to go out there and change the world, I wanted to gather the data of why it's important that we think about what we're feeding our kids. Now, before I say anything, I want to emphasize to you that it is never too late. Never, ever, 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 ever. Even if your child is 70 years old, which I hope I have listeners that are 100 or 100 plus listening. Maybe you do have a 70-year-old child that still doesn't eat vegetables. It's never too late, okay? It's never too late. And I don't want you to feel guilty I'm not saying anything to shame anyone because I don't believe in that. And also I know that even if I did believe in shaming, it would be highly ineffective and probably counterproductive. So this is not what this episode is about. What this episode is about is to 
share with you some exciting information, some exciting research that shows how empowered you can be when it comes to feeding your child. And I want to help you feel empowered. I want to give you this information that could be a gigantic gift for you, for your child, for generations, for your your grandchildren, and on and on and on. Okay, so I'm going off the cuff because as I said at the beginning of this episode, things are, you know, they're just getting right up to the wire in my life these days. So, but I think that this will still be very helpful because I'm so passionate about it that I just love talking about it. And I've been talking about it almost every visit for my patients in the office. So they've been getting an earful of all of this information and this data. The first 1000 days of life are so important when it comes to the development of healthy eating habits. It represents a sensitive period, which is why interventions during that time may have a strong and long lasting impact on outcomes, not just later on in childhood, but also in adulthood, okay? So those first thousand days of life. When it comes to the strongest predictors, and this is all based on research, this is based on data. When it comes to the strongest predictors of what foods young children eat, the top three are whether the child likes how that food tastes, the duration of breastfeeding and whether their mothers ate those foods and whether they had been eating them from an early age. So those three things, whether they like it, how long their moms breastfed it, but also if their moms ate a variety of foods and whether they had been eating these foods from an early age. And we know that parental influence is significant. It's significant not just because what they choose what you're gonna put on your child's plate, but the context in which it is offered. Now let's take a step back. And I just want to acknowledge something that you probably already know. I've talked about it on the podcast. I talk about it in my book. And that is that we are human. If you have not realized that you're human. There's probably some non-humans that listen to me, but I'm not sure if they understand me. All of the pets in the background, we're human. And that's, Important to remember because of our history, our evolutionary history. For the majority of our evolutionary history, we have faced scarcity. We have faced significant periods of scarcity. There's almost 8 billion humans on this planet. What does that mean? That means that we have been successful at overcoming scarcity. How? We've done it because we are omnivores by nature. We're opportunistic omnivores. No matter what part of the world we're in, we're gonna find something to eat. And we have a desire. We have the ability to seek out and find foods that are high in calorie density. What are those foods? Those are gonna be the foods that are high in sugar and high in fat. Before our modern environment where we had factories that can make takis and hot Cheetos and Pop-Tarts and Apple Jack cereal, before our modern environment, those high calorie density foods were things like nuts and seeds and the fruits and, you know, fruits aren't really that high in calorie density, but they have sugar. Okay. So we would seek out these foods. Maybe we would eat some honey, you know, we would 
eat the flesh of animals because it has fat in it, you know? So we would seek out these foods because when we eat these foods, we have developed this affinity for the flavor of those foods. And the flavor of those foods is telling a part of our brain, yes, this is beneficial. This is going to help us survive the next famine. If we don't need it right now, we're going to store it in our fat. And that way, if next week there's no food, we'll be fine. Humans can go a long time without eating. As long as we have water, we can actually survive quite a long time without food. That's why there's almost 8 billion people on this planet. We know what tastes good and what tastes good to us is foods that are high in sugar and high in fat. That's natural. So I don't want you to blame yourself or blame your child for liking those foods because we are naturally attracted to those foods. If you look at breast milk, breast milk is very sweet. Breast milk has fat in it. Breast milk is actually very low in protein. So all of you out there saying we seek out protein, it's not true. We seek out fat and sugar because that's what's gonna help us survive, okay? That being said, it's easy to like those foods. So if we continue to eat those foods, if we're continuing to offer those foods to our children, it's easy. It's like, ding, 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 you won the prize. I'm gonna keep eating that. So that's, that's where I wanna start. I wanna give you that background of knowing that it's natural for us to seek out, enjoy, like those foods, want to eat a lot of them. However, we live in the modern environment. Now we have a surplus of food. And not only do we have a surplus of food, we have a surplus of ultra processed foods. It's like major billion dollar lotto prize winning when you eat it. Your brain lights up saying, yes, you have won the jackpot. This is ultra processed. This is what I need to survive the next famine. That's not benefiting us though. As you can see, we are suffering from a lot of chronic disease. And a couple of episodes ago, or maybe it was three episodes ago, I talked about this in how we are dying from chronic disease and we have a high burden of chronic disease. Why is that happening? It's because of our lifestyle choices and a big part of that is because of our nutrition. Almost 70% of the calories that children are deriving in the United States are coming from ultra processed foods, 70%, okay? We're not eating the right stuff, but we have learned to like and prefer those foods and many children have never learned to like and prefer some plant foods because they're not naturally sweet, they're not high in fat, and they're bitter. And bitterness, typically for the human, has signified Danger, it's poison, don't eat it. And so we're a little bit wary of bitter flavors. And I think that that's probably a good adaptation for the past, but currently we need to learn to like those. Here's the good news. Where I talked about those predictors of what foods young children eat, number one was whether they like how it tastes. Yes, there are some genetic components to that. There is something called food approach, which is how much a child is open to and likes to eat food in general. I would classify myself and my older child as a 
high food approach. We both have a high food approach. We love food. We're willing to taste food. We're not afraid of food. We don't have a, a lot of neophobia. There are some people that have lower food approach. They're, they look at food a little bit more suspiciously. They're not foodies. They eat if they're really hungry, but otherwise they don't think about food a lot. They have lower food approach, okay? So that's genetic. There's also some genetic differences in how we taste food and how much bitterness we can taste in food. Ironically, those people that have the genes that are bitter super tasters, they're associated with eating more vegetables and more bitter foods, which is interesting because I'm pretty sure I'm a bitter super taster because when I taste my husband's beer, which he likes to make me taste because he enjoys seeing my dramatic facial expression afterwards, it tastes like poison to me. And I don't understand why people drink that. I'm not judging you if you like beer. Go ahead and like your beer. I'm the same thing when it comes with coffee. I do not like coffee. It's very bitter to me. I don't enjoy it. However, I do love vegetables and I love greens and I love kale, but I think that's something that over time I have learned to like more and more and more. So we cannot use the bitter super taster gene to say one way or another for sure that somebody is not going to like those foods, but there are genetic differences in how we approach food, how we see food, what kind of a foodie we are, how much, what, you know, things that we taste a little bit more or less. So there are some differences. However, we can have a great influence as parents in what our children learn to like because children learn to like the foods that they are offered. They learn to like the foods that they grow up with. They learn to like the foods in their environment. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover. If you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. The key to helping children learn to like foods is going to be exposure, 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 exposure. That's going to be the number one way. Where do we start this exposure? We start it as soon as possible. Guess what? We start it before the child is born. If you've already had your child, they're out of the womb, then, you know, oh, well, it's fine. Like I said, it's never too late. If you're pregnant or you know you're gonna have more children, think about what you eat during your pregnancy. Now, again, this is not a place for you to feel guilt or shame or any of that. I had like zero nausea during my pregnancy, but I also didn't know this information then, so I did not eat great. I ate a lot of peanut butter actually, but I don't remember eating a ton of vegetables. That was before I was plant-based. If you have a lot of nausea and you can't stomach anything except for saltines, you need to do that, okay? Usually by the second, at least by the third trimester, a lot of women feel better. And maybe that's the time when you can dedicate a little bit more attention to getting a variety of whole plant foods, particularly vegetables and fruits. 
vegetables and fruits particularly, getting those flavors in. Why? Because fetuses can taste. So taste and olfactory receptors are functional by the third trimester of gestation. And the fetus is swallowing between 500 and 1000 milliliters of amniotic fluid each day, okay? So at least by the third trimester, I think it's probably a little earlier that they can actually taste and those taste buds are developed, but then they have to actually take it in their mouth and swallow. So by the third trimester, for sure. And what you're eating when you are pregnant with your baby, some of those flavors get diffused into the amniotic fluid. So just think of it as a flavor-rich broth for your child to be swallowing, you know? So just eat those plant foods. You know, this famous study that they always reference is the carrot juice one, where they had moms during their pregnancy drink a certain amount of carrot juice compared to those that didn't drink carrot juice. And then later on when their baby started eating food, for the moms that had drank the carrot juice, those babies had more of an affinity to carrot juice. So they were more likely to like that carrot food compared to the moms that didn't drink the carrot juice. So that is the the famous study, but the thought is that this applies to a lot of foods, that a lot of foods, the flavors are getting transmitted to the amniotic fluid. And remember that key is going to be exposure. So the sooner you can start exposing your baby, even before they are born, the better. So when you can, when you're feeling good, when you're ready and you can stomach it, get vegetables and fruits and get a variety. Variety is very important because it does predict less pickiness. The more variety that your child is exposed to, the better. All right, so say you're past pregnancy, now you have your baby and you have decided to breastfeed your baby. For breastfed babies, they are also getting an exposure to a variety of flavors through the breast milk. Breast milk is super amazing for a lot of different ways. We know that in breast milk, there's antibodies that the mom passes on the breast milk. The breast milk can change depending on the age of the child, whether the child is sick or not. I mean, it's just amazing. Breast milk is amazing. And like I said before, breast milk is has a lot of sugar, has fat, low in protein, very hydrating. There's a lot of benefits to it. But I think one of the things that nobody talks about is that breast milk is a dynamic substance when it comes to flavor. The foods that the mom is eating is transmitting flavors to the breast milk so that your baby is already getting exposed to different flavors when they're nursing. And that's another opportunity. So if you started the habit while you were pregnant, continue the habit while you're nursing, getting a variety of vegetables and fruits. Now, I'm Latin American, and I'll tell you that in our community, there's all kinds of old wives' tales, and there's all kinds of things that moms are told. Pretty much there's some poor moms that have been told by their moms and grandmas, they can't have anything. Like, they're barely just eating anything because you can't eat this, you can't eat that, It's the baby's gonna get upset, it's gonna hurt their tummy, whatever. Let's kind of throw that out the window and really just pay attention to our baby, focus on our baby, but think about 
variety. Now, there are some foods that can be transmitted or some proteins that could be transmitted into the breast milk that could potentially harm babies. The percentages are maybe 5% of babies. The big one is going to be cow's milk, so the cow's milk protein, and then also soy protein. There are some babies that are sensitive to both cow's milk and soy protein, and some that are just sensitive to cow's milk protein. So those might be affecting your baby, but other than that, I don't want you to avoid garlic. I don't want you to avoid beans. I don't want you to avoid cabbage. This is what moms are told to avoid because their babies are gonna get gassy or whatever. Babies are gassy, okay? So that's just the truth. Their gut's developing, they're forming their gut microbiome, they're gassy. And I really want you to prioritize getting a variety of foods in your diet if you're nursing so that your baby can be exposed to these flavors. Babies that breastfeed are less likely to be picky. So higher breastfeeding duration is correlated with increased fruit and veggie consumption and breastfed babies are less likely to be picky. When it comes to these moms that have been eating vegetables and fruits since their pregnancy, they continue it during their lactation and during the time that they're nursing their babies. These choices, these habits can have long lasting and permanent effects on the fetus so that your baby becomes wired to prefer these foods. This is, like I said, a gift that you can give your baby. And like I said, I didn't eat the healthiest when I was pregnant because I didn't know about it. So if you didn't know about it and you were just eating cake and ice cream and pizza, it's fine, let it go. You can do what you can now starting today, okay? Okay, so there's some interesting other information too. So say that you are not able to breastfeed Either you didn't make enough milk or for whatever reason made the choice not to breastfeed and your baby is being raised on formula. Thank goodness we have formula. Thank goodness we have safe formulas that can help our babies grow and give them all the nutrients they need. The disadvantage to formula is that it is very static. It's kind of like processed food in that it's going to taste the same. It's going to taste exactly the same every time, every day. So the children that are raised on formula are not going to be exposed to those variety of flavors while they're being breastfed. What is very interesting is that different types of formula have different aspects to their flavors and the soy milks, like the soy formulas have a little bit more bitter flavors. So those children might actually be a little more likely to prefer vegetables and those bitter flavors. And then the hydrolyzed formulas, those are gonna be things like the Alimentum Nutramagen. If you've smelled those formulas, you know that they're like, oh my goodness, very strong smell. Those formulas as well have more bitter components, have more savory and umami components. And those babies, they learn to prefer those flavors as well. So basically whether you are on formula or you are on breast milk, you learn to prefer the flavors that you are exposed to. What's really interesting is the babies that are exposed to the hydrolyzed formula tend to be satiated sooner and have less excessive rates 
of weight gain compared to babies that are not on hydrolyzed formula for the formula-fed babies. And some of this is thought to have to do with some of the components that are in the formula that cause some of the flavors, like the umami flavors. In the hydrolyzed formula, it's the free glutamate. I found that super, super interesting. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Okay, so you got through your pregnancy, you're breastfeeding, and now it's time to start exposing your child to complementary foods, which I recommend and is recommended sometime between four and six months of age. Some mothers that are exclusively breastfeeding prefer to wait closer to six months of age, but really you want to look at your baby and see if they are ready to eat, they're able to sit up supported, they seem interested in food, they open their mouth for the spoon or they're reaching out for food, licking their lips, they kinda wanna eat your food while you're eating it. Those are all signs that your baby is ready. What I'm telling my families is once your baby seems ready to eat, I want you to think of it as baby flavor boot camp. How can you expose your baby to as many varieties of flavors as quickly as possible once you start giving them the complimentary foods? And it's not about quantity. So they don't need to eat these huge amounts of food. It's more about the number of tastes, the number of tastes. That's why I call it baby flavor boot camp. And what I'm telling my families is when those babies are ready, sometime between four and six months, definitely not before four months, do not start feeding your baby before four months, but sometime between four and six months, start with the green leafies. So spinach, kale, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, well-cooked, pureed, and then just start giving those tastes. 
what you'll see is that babies make dramatic faces. This is important to know. They're going to scrunch up their face. They're going to squint. They're going to be like, oh, they're going to make these faces like, I cannot believe you fed me that. There are some parents that as soon as they see that face, that's it. They're never offering that food again. We can't do that because that is a natural response. It's a natural response to tasting those foods and those flavors. The majority of parents give up in exposing a child to a food after three times if they feel like the child does not like the food. They decide, my kid doesn't like broccoli, so they're never going to get broccoli again. It may take between eight and 15 exposures for that child to like and prefer that food. The younger they are, the less exposures. The older they are, the more exposures it takes. It's never too late. If you're an adult out there, you don't like vegetables, expose, expose, expose. You have to be willing to expose yourself to them. You'll eventually start to like them. So the younger babies, there's this window of opportunity, this golden window of opportunity where it doesn't take as many tries before they're like, hey, I kind of like this. This isn't so bad. I want more of that. But persistence is still going to be key and an emphasis on variety, okay? Repeated exposure to a food increases familiarity. A food is consumed more and judged as more liked by the infant after several offers, okay? Foods are most often only presented a limited number of times before parents decide that an infant dislikes the food. So let's not be those parents. We have to be persistent. We have to keep at it and know that those facial expressions, the squinting, the whatever are normal and part of it. What we don't want to do is force a child to eat ever, whether it's a baby or whether it's a toddler or an older child. Okay, so we're exposing our babies to these foods. Usually it goes great. Parents are so happy. Their baby is eating all of these vegetables. Then they turn 12 months, 15 months, 18 months, and guess what? They develop neophobia. It's normal. It's a normal part of development. And basically what that means is that you're afraid to try new things. You're afraid to try new foods. and Toddlers tend to stick to things that look familiar, that they've had before, which is why it's important in those first few months of life that you're giving them the foods to give as much variety as possible. But even then, there's, they're going to start rejecting foods that they previously liked. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Never force. Continue to offer. Never force, but continue to offer. Okay, so these neophobic tendencies, they've done studies to show that they can be reduced and preferences increased by exposing infants and young children repeatedly to novel foods. And they need to be exposed at least between six and 15 times because we see an increase in the preference in the more times that they're exposed. They did a study of seven month olds and they found that after the eight exposure of a vegetable that was previously not liked, it started becoming liked the same as a food that was previously liked. It took eight exposures in a seven-month-old. Then nine months later, they tested that same food again, and the majority of those babies were still liking that vegetable. So it lasted. It, that persistence pays off, okay? So if you are willing to be persistent at the beginning, it's going to pay off in the long run. As your child grows, 
They start to become neophobic. Usually that tendency decreases by the fourth, fifth year of life. Then you just want to hang in there. You want to continue to expose. You want to be patient. You want to take deep breaths and you don't want to force. When we force our children to eat or bribe them or, you know, try to somehow cajole them or encourage them to eat it, it actually is counterproductive. It has the opposite effect. When we force them, it actually decreases the variety of foods that they eat. When we restrict food from them, it increases their preference for that food. I'm not saying that you should restrict food for your baby. I'm saying don't restrict food. (laughs) So don't force them, don't restrict, be more neutral about it. Your job is to do the shopping, do the food preparation, and offer it to your child. Their job is to decide if and how much of that food that they want to eat. All right. Another study showed that at 14 months, the babies that had tried a bigger number, a larger variety of fruits and vegetables, they had pre- they were able to predict at that age the number of foods that they had intakes of at 3.7 years. So the ones that were already exposed to more fruits and vegetables by that age, they checked them again at 3.7 years. And those were the children that at that age were eating a greater variety of foods. So it does matter. And the earlier, the better, but it's never too late. One thing that's important to know and that I want to reassure you about is that Windows of plasticity, meaning that the times when the brain is receptive, that your your neurons and your receptors are all open and the babies are more receptive to these flavors, these windows of plasticity of flavor learning occur in different developmental periods. So it's not one of these things that is open and then shut forever and then you don't have an opportunity. It changes as the child grows and learning new flavor preferences can occur across the lifespan. And I've learned that myself. I've learned to like foods that I didn't like before. There's some that I still don't like, but I don't want to learn to like. I don't want to learn to like beer and I don't want to learn to like coffee. If for some reason I was peer pressured enough that I had to learn to like it, I probably could, but I don't think that's going to benefit my health. So I'm not going to learn to like it. But I have to learn to like things that I didn't like. My younger son is Ethiopian. And when I first had Ethiopian food, I did not like injera, which is the, it's like a sourdough pancake that they use to sop up the amazing, delicious food. And it was really sour and I don't love sour flavors, but to me, I've had a priority. I had this value. I wanted to make sure that I liked Ethiopian food so that I can expose my child to it and eat it with him. Guess what? I love it now. I love that stuff now. And when we go to Ethiopian restaurants or we have it here at home, we're always fighting over the injera. There's never enough. So that's an example of that. It's never too late to learn to like a food. Just have to be persistent the same way that you do that for yourself, you do it for your child from a place of non-judgment, from a place of not forcing, a place of openness and patience, okay? So in summary, what I wanted to convey in this episode is that we as parents should feel empowered as parents and caregivers, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a childcare provider, we can influence 
what our children eat, not just now, but when they're adults. And that is so impactful because nutrition has so much to do with these healthy lifestyle factors that can affect our development of chronic disease and can affect our longevity and our joy in life. This is huge. Don't give up. Be persistent. Variety and being early on it. So if you're pregnant, if you're going to be pregnant again, be mindful about getting a variety of vegetables and fruits while you are pregnant, while you are breastfeeding, whenever you start offering complimentary foods to your baby in that window of time early on, try to offer as much of a variety of vegetables, fruits, beans, whole grains that you can, but particularly those foods that are harder to acquire the flavor of, okay? It's not gonna be the sugar, it's not gonna be the fat. Babies love avocado, babies love bananas, babies love those things. That is not gonna be difficult to like. You want to make sure you're getting a variety of those green vegetables, non-starchy vegetables, flavor boot camp for them to taste on their tongue so that their brain, their receptors learn to like those flavors. It's a gift that you can give your baby evidence-based. We can do this. You have the power. Be patient. Be persistent. Don't give up. Majority of parents are giving up after three times. Don't give up. So I hope that this was helpful for you and you learned a little bit of something. And I'm excited to give the workshop with Dr. Sherry Shu this Sunday, today, as you are listening to this. If you have any questions, you can always email me, yami at dryami.com, all spelled out. I appreciate your attention. And I hope that you, your children, and your family have a very plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.